Hey, well, good morning again. And thanks, uh, Emma, for sticking around for this part of the message too. Um, she just reminded me I've got seven days left before she heads off to college. So I'm going to get as much Emma time as I can. And thanks, Bob, for joining us. Bob wasn't going anywhere, but he uh, decided to help us out for something we're going to do in a little bit here as well. All right. Well, we're, uh, today we're going to be starting part one of a three-part series that we're calling Why Church? And I want to start with this question as we start the series. Have you ever driven across Nebraska? When I was a kid, church felt like driving across Nebraska. And sorry, Nebraska, if you're, if you're tuning in here, but it is what it is. Nebraska is not Arizona. Nebraska is not Colorado. Nebraska is not Texas. So when we were driving across Nebraska, it was what it was. Fort Cody, if you remember Fort Cody, Fort Cody is not Disneyland. Nebraska is, is, is what it is, and it's not what it's not. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here on this, especially from, from you, but, but maybe you feel like that now. Maybe, maybe it feels like church is, it's kind of like driving across Nebraska. For others, it might not be that. For others, it might be you, you feel more like Goldilocks going into the house of the three bears, but nothing is just right. It's all either too hard or too soft. I think of something like accountability. Sometimes you, you, you go into a church and it, either there's so much accountability that you feel like you're being judged for everything or there's so little accountability that you feel like anything goes and, and nothing feels just right when it comes to accountability. Or, or take something like this. Um, maybe it feels like everything is Bible explanation, but there's nothing about life application. Or the other way around, it's all life application and no biblical explanation. And, and instead of finding the just right, it feels like it's always an either or. Let me give you one more of those. Maybe you've, you've gone to a, a church and it feels like everybody thinks the way you think and looks the way you look. Or you, you've gone into church and it, and it feels like nobody thinks the way you think or looks the way you look. And what you're looking for is something that has more of a just right feel where, where there's, there's a variety of ages and life stages. There's a variety and a, and a healthy range of backgrounds and ethnicities so that we're being stretched and challenged beyond our echo chambers. All right. Well, if it isn't the driving through Nebraska or it's not Goldilocks without the just right, there's been people, and this is where it gets really tragic. There's, there's a whole lot of people, their experience has been Church is toxic. It's filled with toxic people and toxic ideas. Or maybe you felt like, not felt like, but maybe you've experienced abuse or you've seen it happen at the church. So there's all of these things that, that over the years have had more and more people saying, a church is not something I want to be involved with. And even in spite of all that, there was, there was still people, millions of people, who thought, I found a church that actually works. I, I found one that works for me. And then came COVID. Before COVID, I don't think anybody, at least that I know of, would have said, hey, the church is the building or the church is the programs. But then what happened when the buildings closed? And what happened when the programs couldn't go on the way they once did? There were thousands and thousands of people that said, well, you know, I'll be back when... The buildings open and when things are back to the way that they once were. And then as churches began pivoting online, 
that there, there were people that after the novelty wore off, it just said, I, I, I'm done with that. In our lifetimes, all of these things and more that I've just described have been converging, especially these last few years. In the early 2000s, if you, as I watched the trend lines, it was kind of like one of those blue squares on a ski slope. It was kind of an intermediate level of decline for decades and decades and decades. And then around 2019, it was, it was black diamond. It was really steep. Well, when COVID hit, it was cliff. Until we're to where we are right now, where for the first time in history, when Gallup has been, well, at least as far as Gallup has been polling, for the first time, uh, I think it was this year when, when Gallup did their poll on how many people are attending church, for the first time, fewer people are attending church now than are not attending church. So those of you right now who are, who are tuning in, you're the minority. We're, we're the minority. And here's the question where I'm getting with this extended in, in, in introduction here. Is that a bad thing? Why is church attendance important when you could stream inspirational music and messages how you want, when you want, and where you want? You know, you think about it. We can avoid people that make us feel uh, mad or uncomfortable. We, we can cut out the parts that feel like Nebraska. You can piece together parts that feel just right. And you can fit it into a time that's not as precious as that Sunday morning time slot. If faith is important to you, why not just create your own playlist of messages and, and music and your own rhythms that, that seem to help and work for you? Well, when we launched Emmanuel, we made a commitment. We said, we're not going to duck the hard stuff. So in this series, I want to ask a hard question. And if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Does church really matter? Does church really matter? Next week, our Connection Pastor is going to talk about the difference that church can make in your life if it's church as Jesus envisioned. And then two weeks after that, when I get back from dropping her off at school, We'll talk about the difference that church, as Jesus envisioned it, is making in our world. Oh, you laugh, Sam, but it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming quicker than you think. So that's where we're going. But here's what we want to do today. We want to focus in on that church as Jesus envisioned it part. What was his vision for his church? That's what we're going to look at today. All right. And if I may be so bold, the majority of people who are walking away from church today are walking away from something that isn't what Jesus envisioned. Church isn't a place that we go. Church isn't a product that we consume. Church, as Jesus envisioned it, it's people who are living out the vision that Jesus had for a different kind of community. So today, let's do it as best we can. Let's take a fresh look at the vision that our founder, Jesus of Nazareth, had for his church. If you have your Bible with you, <laughs> which she does, open up to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. If you don't have a Bible at home, there is a great free version that you can get at uversion.com. Uh, it's a great, great app. All right, well, as you're tuning, the, uh, tuning in there, uh, turning there, I should say, let me give you a little context for this. Jesus, he was intentional about everything he did. He was a master teacher. He was a master disciple maker. And listen to this. Here's the context 
where Jesus was as these things were happening. So Jesus and the disciples are in a district of Caesarea Philippi, and it's near the outer edge of what was once the kingdom of Israel. Surrounding Jesus, as he is saying these words, surrounding Jesus are places that were dedicated to the worship of Baal. There, there was a grotto that was dedicated to the Greek god Pan, and there was a temple built to honor Caesar Augustus. So right there in a place where all these different religions converged, Jesus asked a question. Here it is, Matthew 16, 13 through 14. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. All right, now after asking this question about, hey, what do other people say about me? Jesus then followed up with another question, verses 15 through 16. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. All right. So Jesus then, after saying, hey, what do other people think? He says, all right, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, on the nose, boom, you got it. You got it, you got it. Okay, let's go on to verses 17 through 18. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm. All right, well, here's an example of where a study Bible uh, can be really, really helpful. The Bible wasn't written in English, and this Simon Barjona, what that is, it's Aramaic for Simon, son of John. He's talking to Peter here, and he's saying, Peter, it wasn't your earthly father. It wasn't John who revealed that to you. It was your heavenly father. It was my father who is in heaven. And then Jesus engages in some wordplay that we, if we were reading this in Greek, which would you mind just read that? Oh yeah, just, yeah, right? just read in Greek. All right, she says, he says, you are Peter, which is Petros in Greek, on this rock, which is Petra in Greek, I will build my church. Now, theologians disagree on whether the rock is Peter or the rock is what Peter said. Let's set that aside for right now. Here's what I'd like to focus on today, and there's a place to write this down. Jesus is building something that he calls his church. Jesus is building something that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against. And he called that something his church. Let's consider the words that he used. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Let's zero in on those two words, my and church. Let's start with my. The church that Jesus is building is his church. And that is absolutely fundamental. An authentically Christian church is a church that is trying to be more and more and more like the vision that Jesus cast for his people, not some version that we create in our own image. Scripture says that in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The further we drift from the teachings and the example of Christ, the further we drift from the church that Jesus cast a vision for. So this word my, it's so important because the word my distinguishes Jesus' church from all other churches. 
It's his church, which then begs the question, what does he mean by the word church? What, what, what does that mean? If his church is different than other churches, what does that word church mean? Well, the Greek word used here is ekklesia. In the time of Jesus, this isn't a word that meant church as we know it. It was just a word that meant gathering. It was a word that meant assembly. Jesus didn't cast a vision for a different kind of place. He cast a vision for a different kind of people. He cast a vision for this new kind of community, a a group, an assembly, a gathering that would meet in homes and schools and temple courts and community centers and pavilions. I I learned something really interesting about um, this word, too, this Greek word, this week. The books comprising the Old Testament, they were originally written in Hebrew, you know, the, the Old Testament. And this is what we're reading here is in the New Testament. Well, there's a very, very old translation, a Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament in Greek. They called it the Septuagint. Here's what I learned this week about that. That word that Jesus says, ecclesia, that he uses for his church, it showed up, it showed up in our last message. When we were in that section of Judges in chapter 20, verse two, when, when it said that, that all of Israel assembled as this big army that was gonna go and wipe out one of the tribes of Israel, it was referred to as an ecclesia. Well, is that the kind of ecclesia that Jesus was casting a vision for? No, that's the kind of toxic, destructive gathering that he's contrasting his church with. As the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, his church is to represent him. His church is described as a family. It's described as a body. It's described as his bride. All right, let's talk a little bit more about his church and then Bob's gonna help us out with this uh, object lesson. Jesus, he spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. He spoke a lot about the kingdom of heaven. When his church is living out Jesus' vision, the world catches a glimpse of what heaven is, what the kingdom of God is. I invite you to write this down too. We are at our best when we're more like him. Several years ago, a team went out with a video camera and the team's job was to capture what people thought about Christians. So they would just do word association. They'd say, when you think of the word Christian, what word comes to mind? And here's uh, what they found. When people heard the word Christian, they stopped in their tracks. I will never forget the responses. Fake, hypocrites, boring. One guy even said, I used to be one. And this isn't just a modern day thing. In our last series on judges, we the one that we just did, the people, what did they do? These people who were called by God, were they following what he said to do? No, they were cycling over and over and over again to so much dysfunction and so much twistedness. Well, now let's fast forward. Fast forward about a thousand years to the book of Matthew. Let's go back to our text and let's see how quickly Rocky gets off track here. This is an example of why I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles when we get together like this, when we gather, because then you can see how sometimes these these passages that we often break apart, they flow right into each other. So let's just go ahead here to 16, 21 through 23. Emma, if you could read that, please. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Did you see what just happened there? Peter went with, with just a few verses from, hey, you are the rock. This is something that God just revealed to you, to your who? You're, you're Satan. Get behind me. Satan, he says. Have you ever seen that happen in churches where one moment it, it appears as though they are rock solid? And the very next moment, it's like, what is this? This is demonic. Just about the only things separating, just about the only things separating the verses that Emma read earlier with the one that you just read now is this verse. If you want to look, just go back to verse 20. Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. All right, doesn't that seem strange? Jesus went, hey, actually don't tell anybody, Peter, what you just told me that I'm the Christ, I'm the Son of God. That, that doesn't make any sense until you consider the context. The context is Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. And if Peter were to go out right now and say, hey, everybody, I found the Christ, he's going to go down. Peter's going to go down this path of, and here's what the Christ is. The Christ is this conquering hero. The Christ is going to wipe out all the other enemies, blah, 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 blah. Was that true in the way that Peter thought it was true? And was it going to happen like that right now? No. If Peter says what he thinks is true about the Christ and his people, he's going to be saying some things that are wrong. In Peter's idea of church, Jesus is a Christ without the cross. And is that what Satan himself tried to tempt Jesus to be in the wilderness? As the New Testament continues on, we read that, that this enemy, Satan, he has so influenced the world that our culture's values are often his values. Scripture says that our enemy comes to steal to kill and destroy. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can end up conforming to the patterns of the adversary's kingdom rather than the kingdom that God has called us to model and to be part of. I'm just going to be candid here. There's some people, you really need to hear this. There are Republican churches there are Democrat churches. Right now, there are Fauci churches. There are anti-Fauci churches. Instead of authentically Christian churches, we're allowing people to steal this vision that Jesus cast and make it their own. Well, after confronting Peter, after confronting Peter, Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says this, Matthew 16, verses 23, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you remember how Jesus said, hey, we're gonna be going up the gates of hell here. Now, will the gates of hell prevail? No, Jesus promised they wouldn't. They won't prevail against his church, but our enemy's not going down without a fight. Following Jesus authentically following Jesus 
It's going to be costly. In context, when Jesus said this, take up your cross, in context, that wasn't saying, hey, you're going to have to put up with a, an annoying roommate or something like that at college. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't saying you're going to have to reinvent yourself um, as we gather and grow to care for one another during a pandemic. That's not taking up the cross. But in context, taking up the cross, that was laying down your life in, in the most excruciating way that the people knew of. It meant going all in. To take up your cross was to go all in. Without the cross, we have consumers. Without the cross, we have crusaders. Without the cross, you have something that we used to call casual Christians back in the day. His church, it's different than that. Jesus referred to his church as his bride. Think of all that goes into a bride getting ready for her wedding day. Think of all that goes into creating that jaw-dropping moment when those doors open. And there she is in the back of the room. Think of all that goes into crafting that gathering when family and friends assemble to see the bride express her love and her commitment and her faithfulness to her groom. And think of what that covenant means going forward as all others are forsaken and a new bond of love and faithfulness is formed. What an image, what an image. And what did Jesus say? He said, my church, my church, it's like that. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more captivated you are by his bride. I invite you to write this down. When it came to his bride, Jesus was all in. What does scripture say? That Jesus laid his life down. I should say, who did Jesus say he laid his life down for? In Ephesians 5, it was the church. At the end of the ages, when Jesus comes back, who's he coming back for? What does it say in Revelation? It says he's coming back for his church. So what should our response look like? That's where Bob comes in here. Now, I, I went to our storage area and I couldn't find any bridal costumes, at least ones that wouldn't be extremely problematic with our model here. And, and so I found some other things instead. Um, we're going to show you what this response would look like. We'll have to switch metaphors a little bit. But uh, Emma, do you want to do the honors? Oh, of course. Got it. Nice, 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 nice. All right, so here, here's what we got. Imagine if someone claimed to be a true Vikings fan. They said, I am it. I am all in on the Vikings. How would you know if that's true? Well, they might dress like this, including, come on, anybody know the 80? Chris Carter, come on. They would even know some of the Vikings history. They might, they might buy season tickets. They might name their kids after Vikings players. What is happening when you're a sincere, true, authentic fan is you are communicating a clear message. All right, now let's show, let's change this up a little bit. Let's, let's see what happens when we communicate a mixed message. All right, so I, I got this one, so. Okay. No, it's not like that. No, you see, you gotta go like. Hey, thanks, there yeah, there we go. Another reason why you can't leave, mm -hmm. right there. Another reason you can't, can't leave it. All right, so now let, let's, let's now change this up a little bit. If it, let's say Bob still says, I am a true Vikings fan. When, when you look, you might be thinking, really? 
you might be seeing a mixed message here. And let's say that he says, I am all in on the Vikings, and yet he misses Vikings games when the Packers are on TV. And, and let's say that he cheers for the Packers when the Packers and the Vikings play each other. There's a mixed message going on here. Now let's transition back to the metaphor that Jesus gave us. Jesus referred to his church as his bride. And I wish, I wish, I wish I had the words to describe what a powerful metaphor that is. I've been on the other end of the room when that door opens. And the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen was at the back of it. And she was going to walk down that aisle. That day changed both of our lives forever. It was jaw-dropping. And I've been and I've had a front row seat when it comes to seeing the stunning beauty that occurs when a church is truly, authentically all in on the, the vision that Jesus cast. It's jaw-dropping. Maybe that's why, here it comes, the confession. I'm going to cash in any cool card that I've got here. And I'm going to share. There's so many of them. There's so many of them. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share a secret that these guys are already in on here. Oh man, as I bring part one to a close. <laughs> there's a song that I've been listening to a lot. Repeatedly. Lately. Every morning. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to admit it. <laughs> but, but here it goes. The song, it's called Steal My Girl by One Direction. Oh yeah. It's a boy band. Yep. There are times, okay, there's been lots of times or I'll even get a little choked up with this silly little boy band song. And here's why. It's not um, silly. I, I, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll continue on here. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons it chokes me up, and I, and I won't go long down this, but, but, but my testimony, I, I could go that whole direction haha, with, with this song. That, that it talks about, you know, when I was 16, there was something that happened. And that's what I, the age I was when I, my eyes were open to what the church really is. And, and I think about that. There's a line that talks about her dad calls me son. And as I was losing my own father to cancer, I, I look at the role that the church played in that. And so I could go down that whole direction on why it touches me. But then there's the chorus. The chorus, everyone, everyone wants to steal my girl. Everyone wants to take her heart away. A couple billion in the whole wide world, find another one. She belongs to me. Oh, man. There are so many directions. Ha-ha. I could go with that. But here's the one direction. <laughs> Ha-ha. That I want to go. And there's a line in that, that song that talks about when, when this girl's in her zone, every jaw drops. Every jaw drops. Since I've been 16, I've been a part of, I've experienced, I've seen so many jaw-dropping moments when the church lives out the vision that Jesus gave us. And here's something that I've learned, our final talk point of the day. The church you're looking for, it won't be something you find. The church you're looking for is gonna be something that you help build. 
your just right, my just right, that's not his church. Together, let's become the bride that Jesus is coming back for. Together, let's become the body that continues his work. Together, let's be the family that honors our Father's name. Next week, we're gonna look at the kind of jaw-dropping community that Jesus cast a vision for. And then in two weeks, we're gonna look at the kind of jaw-dropping impact that Jesus invites us to have on the world. And, And each week, we're gonna end with the same invitation that we're ending with today. Join us, join us in helping to build this church. Let's join Christ in his work. And that's for everyone. That's for those of you who are just out of town at your cabin who are going to be coming back to in-person services. And that's for you, where you're not ready to, to come back. Together, whether it's in-person or online, let's figure out what it means to keep building his church. So the invitation is going to be, if you are not a member, and you'd like to learn more about what that means, how you can be part of this community as we pursue that vision, if you go to manual.church next, there's a place where you can sign up for Explore Membership, and you can learn more about that. And if you're already a member, we usually don't renew our membership till January. Let's do it right now. Let's take this moment to renew our membership covenant. You can just reach out to Kelsey at Emmanuel.church, and she'll get you renewed right now. Let's build the church that we're looking for at the deepest part of who we are. Let's build the church that Jesus, that the world needs, that the world needs. That's the church that Jesus gave his life for. Amen? Amen. Amen.